Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Mid-East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Civilizationalism's train may well have left the station. That may also be true for a fundamental redefinition of U.S. foreign policy. To what degree civilizationalism continues its march and how U.S. foreign policy will be redefined is likely to be determined by who wins this year's U.S. presidential election. With Donald Trump the undisputed Republican candidate and Bernie Saunders the Democratic frontrunner, the fight for the highest office in the land could be won between two very different but no less radical visions of America's role in the world. For civilizationalist illiberals, authoritarians, and autocrats in the Middle East and North Africa and beyond, the stakes could not be higher. In The Economist's words, a race between Messrs. Trump and Saunders would be between a corrupt, divisive right-wing populist with an empathy for autocrats like his favorite, Egyptian general-turned-president Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, and Mr. Saunders, a sanctimonious left-wing populist who, despite emphasizing human rights, democracy, diplomacy, and recommitting the United States to the transatlantic alliance, has a dangerous tendency to put ends before means and displays the intolerance of a righteous man. The obvious differences notwithstanding, Messrs. Trump and Saunders share skepticism about America wielding power overseas and a reluctance to use military force. On the surface of it, Mr. Saunders would likely agree that Mr. Trump wasn't wrong when he took aim at a post-Cold War U.S. foreign policy that had primarily produced disastrous failures since the demise of communism by declaring our foreign policy is a complete and total disaster. Mr. Trump was referring to what political scientist Stephen Walt described as an era in which the United States, as the world's only superpower, could rule supreme but had no need to do so. Instead of building an ever-expanding zone of peace, united by a shared commitment to liberal ideas, America's pursuit of liberal hegemony, poisoned relations with Russia, led to costly quagmires in Afghanistan, Iraq, and several other countries, squandered trillions of dollars and thousands of lives, and encouraged both states and non-state actors to resist American efforts or to exploit them for their own benefit, Mr. Walt argued. From a civilizationist point of view, Mr. Trump was the right person at the right time. He promised a radical departure from the United States' internationalist agenda and dumped the concept of American exceptionalism that positioned the United States as the linchpin of a liberal world order, the indispensable policeman that would keep the world from falling apart. Foreign policy would no longer be informed by a longer-term overarching worldview. Instead, it would be driven by short-term transactions that served immediate goals, struck advantageous deals, and shifted burdens to others. Ironically, 
Mr. Trump's chaotic and impulsive policymaking and management style, narcissism, and ineptitude allowed civilizationalists with whom he instinctively empathized take center stage, while the United States continued to fight wars in distant lands and shoulder much of the burden of policing global security. Rather than bringing America's commitments and capabilities into better balance, Trump has undermined the latter without decreasing the former, Mr. Walt concluded. Mr. Trump's approach bolstered Russian President Vladimir Putin's declaration three years into the real estate mogul turned president's administration that liberalism had outlived its purpose. Writing in the New York Times, Max Frankel, the paper's former executive editor, argued last year that civilizationalist leaders didn't need to formalize a tacit meeting of the minds on the principles of governance that should underwrite a new world order. Against the backdrop of unproven allegations of illicit cooperation between Russia and the 2016 Trump electoral campaign, Mr. Frankel suggested that there was no need for detailed electoral collusion between the Trump campaign and Vladimir Putin's oligarchy because they had an overarching deal, the quid of help in the campaign against Hillary Clinton for the quo of a new pro-Russian foreign policy. Mr. Trump is our wrecking ball. He shares our ideology and has shown as much sympathy to Russia as was humanly possible, said Igor Jurgens, president of the Institute of Contemporary Development and a former advisor to erstwhile Russian president Dmitry Medvedev. Mr. Jurgens' assertion is mirrored in Mr. Trump's empathy for Mr. Putin and autocrats like Mr. al-Sisi and Emirati and Saudi crown princes Mohammed bin Zayed and Mohammed bin Salman, as well as his anti-immigration policies that favor Europeans and discriminate against Africans, Asians, and Latin Americans, and his repeated refusal to convincingly condemn racist and neo-Nazi groups. Mr. Trump's ambiguity towards far-right thinking neatly aligns itself with Russian support for racist and neo-Nazi groups in the United States and across Europe that is designed to fuel civilizationalist attitudes, bolster opposition to European Union sanctions imposed after Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014, and drive a wedge in the transatlantic alliance that Mr. Trump has repeatedly questioned. By contrast, Mr. Saunders, a self-styled democratic socialist, would likely bring a different, more civil tone to the presidency, but no less of a redefinition of US foreign policy. If Mr. Trump attempted to reduce foreign policy to business-like transactions, Mr. Saunders would transform policy into what scholars Ben Judah and David Adler have termed foreign politics. He is targeting the global architecture of kleptocracy, in which many U.S. firms and passport holders are complicit, and building ties with social movements around the world that can serve as allies in the fight against state corruption, Messrs. Judah and Adler argued in The Guardian. In doing so, Messrs. Judah and Adler suggest Mr. Saunders as president would, unlike his predecessors, 
target three pillars of Mr. Putin's disruptive policies, oil and gas revenues, a kleptocratic power base, and information warfare. Mr. Saunders' tools shy away from the centrality of military power. Instead, they include the promotion of renewable energy that would reduce European reliance on Russian fossil fuels, the dismantling of offshore tax havens and corporate shells that facilitate Mr. Putin's kleptocracy, and U.S. re-engagement in the battle of ideas by promoting human rights and other democratic values. The problem with Mr. Saunders is not the loftiness of his goals and principled positions. It is that given the deep polarization in the United States, he could prove to be as divisive as his nemesis, Mr. Trump. Ironically, that is not how many Europeans, including conservatives, see Mr. Saunders. Said a senior member of Germany's ruling center-right Christian Democratic Union, CDU, he may seem radically left in America, but if he were German, he would fit right into the CDU and probably even the more conservative side of it. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Best wishes and take care.